2: Good morning, it's 8.30 on Tuesday, December 5th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, many conservative state lawmakers want to offer increased benefits for people with kids attending private school but the state constitution requires spending go only toward public education then early learning collaboratives have pushed mississippi's education scores higher a legislative oversight report outlines what works and what needs to be done better plus center for disease control and prevention warns mississippians about the high risk of contracting a respiratory illness this is mississippi edition on mpb think radio Many conservative lawmakers in the state are renewing calls to expand school vouchers, but the Constitution says public funds can only be used for public schools. Last year, a Hines County judge ruled legislation giving $10 million in COVID-19 pandemic relief funds to private schools was unconstitutional. The state's finance department had appealed that decision to the state Supreme Court. They argue that such Well, that since the funds weren't directly appropriated to private schools, the legislation doesn't violate that constitution in the Mississippi law. The state Supreme Court is expected to hear oral arguments for that appeal in February. Matt Steffi is a professor at the Mississippi College School of Law, and he tells our Will Stripling the language of the Mississippi Constitution is clear, but in the end, that might not matter.
3: Any program faces significant legal hurdles because of the language, which reads, no fund shall be appropriated toward the support of any sectarian school or to any school that at the time of receiving such appropriation is not conducted as a free school. Many of these schools are are caught in both of these costs. They are uh, often sectarian and they are not free uh, to the students. In addition, it doesn't just say shall be dispersed to the school, but shall be appropriated towards its support. And I would think that this is a robust ban against voucher money being funneled even through parents to the schools. I I think if one were to try to avoid uh, this constitutional barrier and stand on the idea that the intervening choice of the parent uh, negates any constitutional problem, you would have to give the parent a great deal of latitude about making educational choices. For example, if all parents of school aged children got a tax credit to help support the education of their child, one might say – This is not a law directed towards the support of the uh, non-public sectarian or tuition-driven schools. But if they are given only to people who choose those schools, then I I think the argument appears to be pretextual. That is, uh, to find any way uh, to give uh, a court something to hang their hat on.
4: In the ballot initiative case took the, the the literal meaning of the words in the Constitution it said five districts we don't have five
0: districts so how could is there like is there Even any the any law. way that you could construe Even this section 208 language to to like I just I, I, like you said
4: you said it doesn't matter uh, the, the text doesn't matter as much as who's ruling but I don't see how right. you can construe you yeah. can, there is no ambiguity there there isn't a, there there isn't an off-ramp like that that five-district rule, congressional district oh, rule,
2: was know. in the ballot initiative case.
3: One could easily say five districts meant what it meant when the legislation was passed. That's what we hear uh, all the time when we're interpreting a constitutional provision about gun rights, interpreting a constitution about religious freedom, when we're interpreting the constitution about uh, racial equality. It's not now, not what those terms mean now, but what those terms meant at the time of adoption. So that is one way in which we can about a process that was in place for 20 years. The, the idea of judicial minimalism, that is, the court defers to the agency in charge of applying that law. Well, the secretary of state had no problem applying that law. Uh, like the court, the court could have done what it did in the gubernatorial veto case and just said that job been given to the secretary of state and we are going to follow their lead. Didn't do that. And all I would need to do as a judge is to stand on the intervening choice of the parent to send the funds that are following them around to a private school as opposed to a public school. Because isn't it true that the state allocates a certain amount of per pupil funds that subsidize uh, public schools Uh, That normally flows right into the public school first. But when an intervening choice of the parent, not the legislature takes the student to a different school, the funds follow them. The government can say it's agnostic that it is appropriating those funds to support the pupil's education, most of which end up in public schools, but it is the intervening choice of the parent that sends them towards the school. It's not a choice attributable to the state. Now, I don't find that argument persuasive. I think a person immune to the politics of it would have a hard time finding that argument persuasive. But if you realize that the nine people who decide kind of share a political neighborhood with the people in the legislature, maybe what seems like a far-fetched argument today will be tomorrow's majority decision.
2: Matt Steffi is a professor of law at the Mississippi College School of Law. Next, early learning collaboratives have pushed Mississippi's education scores higher. A legislative oversight report outlines what works and what needs to be done better. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: What are your holiday traditions? Driving to see relatives? Baking treats? Curling up on the couch near the fireplace? MPB Think Radio can be a part of each of these holiday events. Listen on your car radio or your smart speaker, along with on-demand favorites like Deep South Dining and Autocorrect inside the MPB Public Media app. Start a new tradition today, listening to MPB Think Radio while you celebrate the holidays. At Mississippi Public Broadcasting... We tell local stories that matter. Educational and entertaining television, radio, news, and podcasts. We have something for everyone. So tune in and enjoy all we have to offer every day. MPB, your stories,
4: our mission.
0: There's useful information for you on MPB Think Radio's local programming this morning. Personal finance is the focus on Money Talks at 9.00. At 10, there are discussions of your legal rights on In Legal Terms. Relatively Speaking has advice on maintaining good relationships with friends and family at 11. Happy Holidays from
4: Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
2: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi's Early Learning Collaboratives give families more opportunities to have their kids attend pre-K when it would otherwise be cost-prohibitive. Experts in education say this allows for students to get a head start on learning how to read and do other basic skills needed to succeed in school. Ted Booth is Executive Director of the Legislative Peer Committee. That's the Joint Legislative Committee on Performance Evaluation and Expenditure Review. He says the law that created these early learning collaboratives has a provision requiring the Department of Education conduct a rigorous analysis of the programs. That analysis is then reviewed by Pierre. Booth says some of the data points needed to paint a full picture of how the collaboratives are performing weren't included in the Department of Education's report.
4: We looked at the report and drew the conclusion that there were some issues that make it very, very difficult to um, draw conclusions about the performance of the report. There are about 5,300 people in the collaboratives, and then many of them are Head Start kids, and the Head Start kids weren't included in the database, and that's because they don't have a student number. Well, you're leaving out a... uh, a number of people who've been in the program and then there are also some data entry errors pr- probably and then instances when you find a test result for a, a youngster but you don't see enrollment data and when we look at that we say these are some data set problems and any kind of report that you're going to produce from this we can't sh- necessarily agree with the conclusion simply because data was missing. Now in looking back at the work that they did they drew some conclusions about how the um, the kids were act- doing, the kids who'd gone through the pre-K program were actually performing better than kids who hadn't gone through a pre-K program. We looked at some data and said, based on the, the, the data, flawed that it may be, yes, there are many instances where the, the kids who go through pre-K have perform better than uh, kids who hadn't gone through pre-K or hadn't gone through a collaborative pre-K, and then there's some areas where they haven't performed quite as well. Our recommendation to the Department of Education is that um, you need to work on this, correct some of these data problems. Certainly, the, the, the pre-K program needs to go on for further study and further research, And they are amenable to making corrections they've already told us for the future. They will have the Head Start kids included in there. We made some recommendations on the law setting out a a list of various things that they need to uh, evaluate for. So um, the the report is certainly not a negative report. It does not come down uh, against the pre-K program, but it just says, We need better data. We need better research for the future. And um, based on the response we got from the Department of Education, I think we're going to get that.
2: This has been touted as a success story, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it sounds like that still may be questionable.
4: Well, once again, just from looking at research method and the data that was available, there's some data that wasn't in there that you would expect to have in there, and so once again, it has been touted as a success. We're not calling it a failure. We're just saying for research purposes, we're going to have to be better next time around. You're going to have to have all your kids included in the thing so that we can come back and say, based on an analysis of all of your students, this is the conclusion we can draw
2: Okay. So there's 37 collaboratives, mm-hmm. which doesn't encompass the whole state.
4: Yeah. There's a map in the report that will show you where the collaboratives
2: are left. 37 collaboratives in Mississippi, as you stated, serving uh, 5,300 children, yeah. oh, the yeah. actual number 5,329. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there a number uh, for the number of students participating from Head Start programs? It's
4: not in the report Uh, I asked one of my staff persons to try to determine that, and probably somewhere in the neighborhood of of, of 20 percent.
2: But that's a guesstimate at this point.
4: Based on what the data we've
3: got, yeah.
2: Knowing that number of children have not been counted in this, Mm -hmm. how much of a difference does that make in the outcome that they came up with?
4: Well, once again, you can't know that. You can't know what the data that's not present would tell you if it had been present.
2: I see what you're saying. Is This wishful thinking in terms of how well this program is doing, because if you're not including uh, 39 percent of the collaboratives, which...
4: Well, that's 39 percent of the collaboratives. Uh, We didn't say we're not including 39 percent of the collaboratives.
2: That's what the Head Start accounts for, 39 percent?
4: Well, I think it was more like it, probably more like twenty percent. I think.
2: So, in that regard, then, mm-hmm. is is MDE jumping the gun?
4: Well, what they're doing is just printing the results of their of their report, and we've come back and told them we see problems with your report.
2: Okay. And
4: uh, when you go back and look at the tail end of their response and the the back of the report, they talk about how they're going to try to do their best to correct some of these problems.
2: What happens if they haven't made those corrections? Well,
4: if they they haven't made those corrections, then they'll have the same problem next time we look at the thing. Now, I have certainly no reason to question that they will make the changes, will make the corrections. They've said that, but certainly when we follow up, we can ask the question and find out if they have implemented the changes so that they can capture that
2: data. Ted Booth is Executive Director of the Legislative Peer Committee. Coming up, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention warns Mississippians about the high risk of contracting respiratory illnesses during this holiday season. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
0: If this is a busy season for you, I suggest you multitask. While you're driving to Grandma's, listen to MPB on the radio. While wrapping presents, have MPB local shows playing on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. Thank you for listening to MPB Think Radio however you listen.
1: What are your holiday traditions? Driving to see relatives? Baking treats? Curling up on the couch near the fireplace. MPB Think Radio can be a part of each of these holiday events. Listen on your car radio or your smart speaker, along with on demand favorites like Deep South Dining and Autocorrect inside the MPB Public Media app. Start a new tradition today listening to MPB Think Radio while you celebrate the holidays.
2: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Cases of respiratory illnesses are rising across the country during colder months, people stay indoors and holidays bring folks together who may not often be exposed to one another increasing the risk of transmission Mississippi is one of the states with the lowest flu and covid vaccine rates in the country nearly 6% of emergency department visits are related to viral respiratory illnesses like flu covid and RSV and that's according to data from the centers for disease control and prevention Our Michael Guidry speaks with the CDC director, Dr. Mandy Cohen. She says Mississippi falls under the agency's classification of high respiratory illness activity, a designation only given to six other states.
0: As we are here in December, we are seeing more circulating virus pretty much as we do every year at this time. So we are in flu season and flu is increasing across Mississippi. RSV is another virus that is circulating across the state. It is also elevated, and we continue to see cases and hospitalizations from COVID. So all three viruses are circulating, and we do get information from emergency rooms and other data sources to allow us to know what is happening um, in Mississippi. And what we know is that there are a number of viruses circulating, but we also have tools protect ourselves. Um, So that while flu activity is increasing, unfortunately, we're seeing um, too few folks in Mississippi get vaccinated and get that updated flu shot to protect themselves. And we're hoping more can do that um, before the Christmas holiday.
5: Going back a a few years, um, those years where a lot of uh, COVID mitigation practices were in place, um, the data reflected, uh, you know, not only an attempt to lower COVID transmission rates, but it also reflected a, a dip in other respiratory illnesses uh, during that time. Kind of looking at that holistically, what does it say about those practices? Uh, have have people become too comfortable and too relaxed, uh, and and not and not relying on those practices, not just as a COVID measure, but just as a basic health practice in, in order to mitigate these kinds of illnesses?
0: Well, when we were in the middle of the COVID crisis in 2020 and 2021, you know, we were staying home um, in order to save lives. And it not only slowed the spread of COVID. It also slowed the spread of other viruses like flu and RSV. And then when we went back to, which we want to, we want to see other people, we want to travel, we want to gather. Um, And we can do that safely now that we have more tools. We have vaccines that can protect us against what the worst of what these viruses can bring. So now that we have vaccines, and don't forget also about treatment, that we have treatment for these viruses that can help. um, We can get safely. We can have a happy and healthy Christmas. We just have to use these tools. We need to get vaccinated, and it's not too late to get vaccinated. Your updated flu shot, your updated COVID vaccine, and if you are sick, to get treatment. We have treatment for flu. We have treatment for COVID. So we are in a different place, both because we're able to gather uh, safely, but we're in a different place because we have tools to protect ourselves.
5: And You said it's not too late to get uh, flu vaccines. People often think of flu as, as, as a seasonal illness, but Christmas is right around the corner we passed uh, we passed Thanksgiving. Why is this, especially ahead of Christmas and all those gatherings? Why is this time you know the, the like this week or week and a half to an opportune time if someone hasn't gotten the flu vaccine to get it now before those Christmas holidays?
0: Yeah, so we are just at the beginning of flu season, and that means we're going to see more flu circulating as we get deeper into winter. And we know folks are going to be traveling and gathering related to holiday parties or to Christmas, um, and so now is still a great time to get vaccinated. It does take about two weeks after you get vaccinated for your body to build up that protection. So here in the first week of December is still plenty of time before Christmas, Um, to get vaccinated. But also don't forget treatment. Um, We have treatment for flu, we have treatment for COVID, but you have to know what you have, which means you need to get tested if you're sick. So if you have a fever or a cough or body aches, uh, make sure you are either testing yourself, you can get four free tests at covidtest.gov, or going to the doctor um, and finding out what you have so you can get treatment because treatment could also save your life.
5: Despite the best efforts of, of the, the the CDC and, and other major health officials, both nationally and locally, about the COVID vaccine's safety and efficacy, uh, you know, there there has been a wave of or there was a wave of of mistrust um, or hesitancy. Is that having an impact on other vaccine hesitancies?
0: We are seeing less folks get vaccinated across the board, not just for. COVID, but for other things as well. And particularly in Mississippi, we are seeing lower levels of adults get the flu shot this year. Um, Mississippi is one amongst the lowest five states in the country, so we want to make sure that folks are getting that updated flu shot, particularly if you are over 65 or you have a young child under the age of five. Those are the folks who are at the highest risk of having it, going to the hospital or on having their life taken by flu, and no one should be dying from something. We can have a safe and effective vaccine I know we all want to move past all of these viruses and vaccines, but we have to make sure that we're protecting ourselves. These viruses are not gone. They are still here, um, and they are still important for us to protect ourselves from, both through vaccines and through treatment.
5: And you said the best way to treat um, and even help maybe mitigate these kinds of diseases is to to. Know if you have something and what you have when you have it. Uh, What's the best course of action for someone who is feeling flu-like symptoms or COVID-like symptoms to get tested and get the correct information and treatment they need?
0: It's hard to distinguish just by symptoms if this is something that could be flu or something that could be COVID or or even uh, uh, bacteria. So first thing that I I would do is make sure right now, ahead of getting sick, that you're ordering four free COVID tests from covidtest.gov. You can go into COVIDTest.gov and you can get four free tests. So I would test yourself first at home to see if it's COVID. Um, Then if that if it's not COVID or if you don't have tests at home, want to go to your doctor or to urgent care and to get tested um, for flu, for COVID, or for another kind of pneumonia, and then you'll be able to be paired with treatment because we have treatment for flu, for COVID, um, for pneumonia. And you need to uh, make sure you know what you have so you can get access to that treatment.
5: Um, Dr. Cohen, is there anything that I haven't asked you uh, about that you'd like to articulate?
0: Well, just remember that we have many layers of protection, which is why we can gather and have a happy and healthy Christmas season um, is because not only do we have vaccines and we have testing and treatment, but we also know from these past number of years that there are other things we can do to protect ourselves. Um, Washing our hands, wearing a mask, um, keeping the window open and other improved ventilations, gathering outdoors. So particularly if you are going to be gathering with someone who is over 65 or is maybe fighting cancer, um, make sure you're using all the layers of protection you can to make sure we're keeping each other safe. So, of course, get vaccinated to protect yourself. Um, Get tested if you are sick, um, but then use those layers of protection. And importantly, stay home if you're sick. I know it's so hard during the holidays. We want to go to those parties. We want to gather, but stay home if you're sick.
5: Dr. Mandy Cohen, Director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to talk to us about respiratory illnesses uh, in Mississippi.
2: Thanks, Michael, for having me. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Have a good day.